Hey, everybody. It's good to see you all again. All right, so, like I said last week, we're going to do a two-part series in Matthew 6. Um, so, last week, just a kind of a quick recap. We talked about the first half of the chapter. Specifically, we're looking at verses 19 through 21, in which Jesus says, don't lay up for your s- store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Um, for w- he continues, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we looked at this thing about how we, we strive and we try to collect all this stuff here on earth, and yet it's temporary. You know, we, we look at, you know, trying to accrue financial wealth, and yet that all is based on market value and how as values markets fluctuate, like we could lose value in that, or how we try to put our treasure in this house and building up this beautiful home for ourselves. But even in that, I mean, a natural disaster can strike, or we try to be, um, you know, the top of our game in whatever um, industry we work in or sport or just any area of expertise. And yet there's always going to be, in a sense, these people who will try to steal away that status from us. And so rather than striving for these things, we need to be um, living for God's kingdom. We need to be storing up treasures in heaven. And our uh, final point from last week was in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15, in which Paul says, you know, as believers, we have a foundation being Jesus Christ. And everything we build off of that will be tested in the last day by fire. And so our challenge was, are we going to build for things of this earth that will burn away? And although our soul will be saved and will go to heaven, we will experience great loss from all the things that we invest in our life that did not make it. Or are we going to build for Christ's kingdom with things that will pass this test? And that will be our reward as well. And so we're going to continue into part two today. Um, so if, if you have your Bibles, I would uh, I encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 34. Before we do that, though, I, I do want to pray uh, for this sermon today. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity to teach again um, to the congregation. And Lord, just how uh, through this time of studying, it's you have been uh, convicting me, you've been molding me and shaping me. And um, God, I pray that for all of us here, everyone here in attendance, for those who um, might be listening to the recording afterwards, God, that you would um, soften our hearts, open our eyes to the truth, um, so that today we would be built up by your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit would fill us up and equip us, Lord, and that we would just be taught by your word, that we would be encouraged, challenged, convicted, to do what you are calling us to do, Lord. I pray that we would not be a shallow church focused on temporary things, but Lord, that we would be a church just established and built on your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would live out our calling that you've given to us. So Lord, help us to walk in obedience and humility and submission. And Lord, just to keep our eyes focused on you. We just pray for all of this today. In your son's name, amen. So after all of last week, you know, there's kind of this question, how do we transition from 
this pursuit of worldly treasures? And how do we start going towards this path of trusting that God will provide for us while we are in the world? And so this is tough. It's, it's going to be a bit of a tough one today because there is this tension. You know, we're, we're trying to live our life on this earth while not being a part of this world. And we have to um, trust that God will provide for us, but at the same time, we're trying to avoid this idea of trying to stockpile treasures for ourselves on this earth. You know, and throughout John 17, Jesus tells us that we are called to be in this world, but we're not to be of this world. And so how do we balance this tension? Because if we're called to be in this world, God's given us a purpose and a mission. And so we are going to need provisions and supplies in order to do that. But at the same time, we don't want to stray to the other side where we start just acquiring things for ourselves like the rest of the world tells us to do. And the truth of the matter is it's impossible to do both. There's a tension here. You know, so let's look at verse 24. You know, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Now, in other translations, this is ESV, um, there are some other translations um, where the word money is mammon. Um, so in the Greek, this word for money or mammon is mammonas. And looking throughout the Bible, wherever this word is used, it's meant to represent riches or treasure um, or just some sort of valuable uh, thing where it is both personified and opposed to God. And so when this word is used, it's always meant to be something that is a treasure other than God. And so we look at this, you know, you can call it a treasure, a false god, an idol. Um, and the truth here, what Jesus states is we can't serve both. You know, and many times we have this identity crisis where we're trying to walk in the newness of life as believers, and yet we still feel the temptations of the world telling us, oh, you can do that, but like, you know, make sure to like save up a nice retirement account or make sure to chase after all these accomplishments so the world can see that you're a successful person. And the truth is we can't pursue both because at some point we're going to be torn between the two. It's not these parallel paths that we can walk together. They are diverging and you cannot walk both. You cannot have your feet in both identities. And so this, I, this idea of not being able to serve God and treasures and riches. It's just something we cannot do. Now, we talked about this last week, and I want to bring it up again. You know, a lot of times we say, you know, when we talk about riches or treasures, we always just kind of go right to money. But my argument here is that it goes beyond money. When we really think about it, money and currency, they're just a resource. In and of itself, it doesn't hold any particular purpose or function or value. Like, you know, money is paper, or it's metal, pieces of metal, or it's even just a bunch of binary data that gets stored online. You know, we, and we value it based on whatever the market says. And so in and of itself, like, it's not that this money is extremely, like, particularly useful. And so what I want to argue here is let's look at money as a resource you know, it, ha it holds buying power that allows us to gain other things. 
And money is, in a sense, kind of one of the big three when we look at resources. We look at um, money, time, and energy. And all of these resources, you know, what we spend those resources on, that will typically point to what we are serving in our life. That will typically point to what we are investing in. And so we see ourselves stockpiling all of this money, all of this valuable, um, this market value stuff, so that we can put it into some sort of financial portfolio and build up for ourselves retirement accounts and all these investment accounts. You know, we see ourselves putting our time and our energy into creating some sort of social status for ourselves where we accrue influence and power within our social spheres. Um, we put it, our time and energy and money into our appearance and image. You know, we'll put so much money into making our home look like something that you would see on Instagram or in a Norman Rockwell painting or on some sort of like Hallmark movie, you know, and we chase after all the popular clothes or, you know, I mean, thanks to hipsters, we now also can chase after trying to look unique by going thrifting too. But like we put all this money into, you know, trying to create this image for ourselves, you know, or even if it's our own family's image, you know, we, we see how people, like, raise their kids, and we're like, oh, if I can just have my kids that well-behaved, or if I could just put them into all these different activities over here, like, we would be such a perfectly put-together family. You know, we see, like, you know, just, we, that's all we see. We see these images on these screens, you know, in these movies and these cards and pictures, and we, like, we're like, we want that. We want that for our home, our family. And so we chase after these images, um, other times, it's, it's comfort. We look at, you know, oh, if I could just have one more slice of pizza, then I would be comforted after a stressful day. If I can just have one more donut. Or we throw ourselves into um, constantly being on vacation. Um, I like to tease my wife because she is a Disney nerd through and through. And, like, every time, like, you know, when we're looking at, you know, upcoming vacation ideas, she's always like, let's go to Disney. And I'm like, can't we just do something different? <laughs> you know, but... But that's the thing, too, is we, we try to, we, there's this idea of escapism and comfort that we can chase after, and we can pour all of our resources into that. Um, it's also this idea of trying to be successful and accomplished, and so we pour all of our resources into chasing after all these things that society says is successful. It may even be knowledge. You know, we, we put so much time into reading up on all these things and studying all these things so that we can go into, like, parties or other social gatherings and be able to share some, like, topic of knowledge or some nugget of insight. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that in and of itself, like I always say, it's not that these things are bad, but when we live for that, when we start chasing after that, we're missing the point of our Christian life. We cannot serve God and these idols so how, how do we do this? You know, how do we live out our Christian identity knowing that God will provide for us? So I'm going to call my wife up here for an illustration. Um, I know everybody loves illustrations. They're always fun. And, um, but I want to present this idea of how we trust in God's provision um, and how do we apply that in our own life? So let's look at this first. You know, a lot of times after reading these verses, it's easy to kind of swing to the other end of the pendulum. And we pursue this like, oh, well, I can't enjoy anything of 
any physical enjoyment. I can't have any indulgences, any joy in life whatsoever. I must live kind of like a, a peasant or a monk or just like live towards this like lifestyle of having nothing. But yet, at the same time, there's also verses in the Bible, such as Matthew 7, 7 through 11, where it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, um, it will be opened. Um, and it continues on, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And sometimes it's easy to see those verses and then swing to the other end of the pendulum where it's like, all right, name it and claim it, prosperity gospel. And so the thing is, is how do we, how do, we do this? You know, how do we live this life? And so I want to draw a parallel to our own personal relationships, whether it be um, marriage, whether it be with our friends, or whether it be our parents, our kids, um, and just this idea of how we give gifts to each other. So... Hi, honey. <laughs> so let's say that, you know, Angela decides to give me a gift just out of pure love and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> so she gives me this gift. Now, if I just start like, oh, my gosh, this gift is just so beautiful. I'm just going to spend all my time on it and just I love it so much. Like, and if I start cherishing this item over my relationship with her, like, eventually she's going to be, I'm just going to be, like, so enthralled and engrossed with this. And she's just standing on the side like, um, hello, I'm still here. And I'm just, like, putting all of my efforts and resources into this thing. You know, we look at that and we might say, oh, well, that's kind of silly, you know. Um, but let's look at another illustration, too. So this time, you know, what if Angela were to give me a gift and I'm just like, no, I do not deserve this. I am so unworthy. I only deserve you. Oh, I just will grovel and kiss your boots. <laughs> you know, we, we see that rejection of the gift, and we also think, well, that's kind of a silly response to getting a gift from someone. Well, let's keep going. <laughs> now, if you want to set that one down for this one. Now, let's say that, like, it's just a normal day in our lives, and we're just chilling together, and, like, there's no gift to be had right now. And, like, if I'm looking at everybody else, and I'm like, oh, well, that person over there got a gift from their, from their spouse. How come I don't have a gift right now? Or, like, if she gave me a gift yesterday, and I'm whining about how I didn't get a gift today because I already forgot about the fact that she gave me a gift yesterday, I mean, like, that might look kind of silly or selfish, too. You know, and so we spend, like, it looks silly in a sense to almost, like, bemoan or wallow in the fact that, like, we didn't get a gift every single moment from our spouse. Um, now let's do another illustration. I've only got five, so two more, and then we'll walk through them. Hmm. Now, let's say that, you know, Angela once again is like, oh, I really want to give Dale this gift. You know, this would be something awesome. And I see it, and I'm like... I just, I don't know if I deserve that right now. Here, hold on a second. Let me go um, do the dishes over here. Okay, I, I did the dishes. Um, uh, wait, let me get the laundry. Okay, laundry's all done. Okay, um, I'll give you a foot massage. Okay, now I think I've earned your gift. Okay, now I'm ready to receive it because I've worked so hard for it. Oh, thank you, honey. Like, that's something we also don't do. Now, 
on the flip side of that, there is another illustration I also want to go for. And, you know, let's say that, like, I'm just sitting here expectantly. I'm just, you know, binge-watching my TV, enjoying my snacks, just completely ignoring Angela. And I'm just, like, expectantly waiting for her to give me gifts and just shower me with praise and gifts and love and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, this is great. I've got my own comfortable life here. Honey, can you go make me a sandwich, please? And, you know, grab me a drink, too? Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> maybe she'll still, like, you know, give me a gift or something just out of her love for me in that dumb moment of mine. But, I mean, like, that would look silly, too, just like me not putting in any effort, but just expectantly waiting around for her to just do all these things for me. So thank you so much for being my... <laughs> now, I want to break each one of those down. So let's look at the first one. You know, we wouldn't do that in our earthly relationships, or at least we shouldn't. You know, we don't just, like, get so engrossed in this gift, and then we put all of our attention and time into it. Um, because, like, we understand that the gift came from someone that we truly love and cherish. And if we do that, you know, and what I'm trying to draw here is this parallel to, like, we wouldn't do these things in our earthly relationships. And yet I feel like sometimes we struggle with that with God. Like, we, we might receive some sort of provisioning or even just a gift from God, and we get so engrossed in that we almost forget about him. We start to cherish the gift over the giver. And a lot of that, that attitude, it can lead to a distraction from our relationship with God. It can lead to idolatry. You know, it can lead to chasing after just trying to get gifts from God rather than trying to enjoy being in his presence. But on the flip side of that, I think we also struggle with this idea of trying to receive gifts from God. We almost feel like when God offers us something that we ought to slap it out of his hands and reject it because we're not worthy. And we think that we need to, in a sense, live this sort of like monastic life up in the hills where we can't have anything nice and we just like live in poverty because that's what um, we ought to do. You know, and so like if your friend, your parent, your child, your spouse or whoever gave you a gift, I mean, it would, you know, kind of be a slap in the face, you know, to slap it out of their hands, like because they love you and want to give you something. And yet, I, I feel like we also struggle with that aspect with God. You know, in my third illustration, this idea where I'm just kind of comparing myself to others and bemoaning the times I don't give, I don't get gifts. You know, that too, you know, that seems kind of silly or it seems kind of selfish. Like, wow, you just expect to always get gifts. Um, and that is another thing I want to look at too in this sermon is we don't, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to every other person and being like, oh, well, Lord, look what they got over there, or look what they have. Like, why don't I have those things? Or I know you blessed me in this area, but why are you not blessing me over in this area? And we start to wallow in, um, in things that we may not fully understand because maybe we are asking for the wrong thing. You know, in the fourth illustration where I sh showed this idea of, like, um, trying to work and do all these chores to earn the gift that Angela is giving me. I think we also struggle, can struggle with that too. And a lot of that comes down to this idea that we may not understand God's grace and love towards us. And so 
we think that we've got to work for everything. We've got to earn everything. And that, too, can take away from our relationship with God. That's how we view it. And then in my last one, you know, where I'm just kind of being a schlub and just, like, having her just be my servant and do all these things for me, you know, I think sometimes we can struggle with that, too, where it's like we aren't putting any effort into the relationship, and yet we're just expecting God to just shower down these gifts and blessings upon us. And I know it's this multifaceted approach, but what I'm trying to get at is trying to get us to the middle of a healthy relationship and a deepening, maturing relationship with God and how we approach this. Um, and so this is what I'm trying to get at here. You know, um, I was listening to a podcast um, earlier this week. Um, the pastor's name was Scotty Smith. Um, he was a guest on the show, and he said something that really struck me. He said, the gospel of God's grace puts an end to all earning, but not all effort. And that's what I want to get at here. Like, let's look at our personal relationships here on earth, and let's also look at our relationship with God. In our relationships, we don't work in order to receive gifts from our loved ones. At least we shouldn't do that. Yet, effort is still required of us to maintain the growth and the healthiness of that relationship. In the same way, we cannot work to receive God's approval. We cannot work for our salvation, and we cannot work for all these other things in our life. However, effort is still required on our part to walk in the Spirit, to abide in Christ, and to trust in God, and through that, that effort is required if we are to mature in our faith and grow deeper in our relationship with God. And so what I want to get at here is we're not here to try to earn things from God. But at the same time, we are called to spur each other on into a deeper relationship with God. And in that, that is where the effort is. So my main point I want to look at here is in verses 25 through 34, if you're following along in Matthew 6. And we see this, um, Jesus' teaching on this idea of God's provision versus our own anxieties. You know, Jesus doesn't stop teaching at verse 24 and just say, stop serving things of this earth, pursue God. He continues on in this chapter with the promise that all necessary things will be provided for us as we seek to live for God's kingdom. So starting in verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about your clothes? Observe how the, f the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This isn't a suggestion here, like, oh, you know, like, pursue God's kingdom, and, you know, you might get some this stuff. It might be provided for you. This is a promise. Do this, therefore don't worry. Pursue God's kingdom above all things, and all you need will be provided for you. Now, once again, I said all you need, not all you want. And this changes our mindset. It changes the posture of our hearts when we see this truth here. We pursue God's kingdom, and God will provide the rest for us. And as a result, we don't have to be anxious. You know, we see this throughout the Bible. We see it here, that God will provide for us. But we also see it in Ephesians 4, that Jesus, or God will equip his church. So we look at Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 through 12. And Paul writes in there, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And even in there we see that promise, that God will provide for his church. He will raise up the evangelists, the teachers and shepherds, um, and the, the prophets and the apostles. He will raise up these offices to establish his church in the world. And through that, he will use them to equip the saints, being us, the congregations. He will equip us for the work of ministry. And so we need to understand that this isn't just uh, we're here on this earth trying to survive, and when the storms come, we bury our heads in the sands and just wait out the return of Jesus. No, there is a purpose. There is a mission. We're sent out to do the work of God. And there are promises throughout his word to us that things will be provided for us for what we need to do to fulfill that task. So knowing these promises, how do we start living out of this mindset? And I, I'm going to be honest, this is tough. I don't have it all figured out. But by God's grace and through the building up of our church and the encouragement and the spurring one another on, I believe that we can grow towards this. So let's start by just looking at our resources, our money, our time, our energy. With this mindset, we don't grow anxious and stockpile our resources. Um, so this same teaching about don't grow anxious and seek first God's kingdom is also written in Luke 12. And what I really like about Luke 12 is the following verses that come after that same passage. So if you have your Bibles again, we're going to look at Luke 12. And I'm going to read the following verses that come after um, that section. Sorry, it actually precedes the section on don't be anxious. So we talk about don't stockpile your resources, and Jesus provides a parable of a rich man. So starting in verse, um, uh, where was I? Sorry. 
Starting in verse 15, Jesus says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And so looking at that, there is a clear command. Don't stockpile for yourselves these treasures. Stop trying to accrue all this wealth, all this money. Stop trying to hoard all your time and energy for your own personal pursuits. And I, I read this parable, and how much does it sound like the American dream? The American dream is go off to college, pursue a career, uh, start an investment account, start these other retirement accounts. You know, make sure you have funds set up for your kids to go to college to uh, do the same exact cycle. And just keep working and keep working, keep working. Maybe take on a side hustle, maybe start some other pursuits to keep bringing in more money. And so that by the time you're around 65, or if you're lucky, you can retire earlier, you can then sit and relax. And now you have all the time in the world to pursue all your other things. And here's the thing, like, from a human perspective, just in a vacuum, that cycle sounds great. If we put in A, B, and C, the outputs of that machine will be X, Y, and Z. But we are not assured tomorrow. So all this stuff we're building for, and we talked about this last week, it can be gone in an instant. You know, we may pass away the day we retire or the day before we retire. What good was all that pursuit then if we weren't living for God's kingdom? And so what I want to encourage all of us with here is let's start living for God's kingdom. That doesn't mean that as of today, everybody goes out and quits their jobs. They dissolve their financial savings and they throw out everything in their house and all that stuff. What I'm trying to get at here is, what is God calling every single one of us to do? I can't tell you and just draw a black and white conclusion that all of you need to do this, because God may call each one of you to something different. To the person who may be storing up wealth, God may be calling you to be generous and start giving to the church and your community. To the person who is overworking, and just trying to build up for themselves this identity in their job and their accomplishments, God may be calling them to cut back on some of that time in order to invest into the church or their family. Maybe we need to stop taking all of our kids into all these traveling sports leagues or show choir or all these other extracurricular activities and get them to church on Sundays. And so it is our responsibility as believers to be digging into God's word, to be in prayer, and to be seeking what does pursuing God's kingdom look like. And then to start submitting, to be humble and obedient and submit to what God calls us to do. And I know it's not easy. 
It isn't. This is something I struggle with a lot. I mean, I shared with you all last week the different things I struggle with. You know, um, we kind of had a little bit of fun as I was kind of poking fun at my own image consciousness and how, you know, Angela, you know, I'm, I'm definitely the more, like, image conscious person because I worry about keeping up appearances. And something that always prods me in the side is that Angela has, you know, that, that old, ugly sweatshirt that I just cannot stand, you know. And we had some fun with it as, you know, we talked about it and how it was just kind of this minor little, like, Sure, it seems like something to laugh at, but it really does show where my heart is and how I want to keep up appearances and image. And, you know, a lot of you came alongside and encouraged your sister in Christ and told her to keep that sweatshirt. And one of you, not going to name names, Jesse, specifically said how it can be a refining fire for Dale in his life by you wearing that and keeping that sweatshirt. (laughs) But... Here's the thing, like, you know, we had some fun with that, but that's the truth. Like, I struggle. I put so much time into chasing after trying to look right before the rest of the world. You know, I put so much effort, and I've shared it in previous sermons, of trying to pursue college and get the right kind of job that has the right amount of money so that I can do all these things, buy a house, get married, do everything else, and look like I'm living the right life. And honestly... When 2020 hit and we're all sitting in our homes, it hit me. Like, this is what I've been living for. Like, and it's coming screeching to a halt. And it forced me to get real about a lot of things. Um, And as I started really digging into the word, as I started um, submitting to Christ, Honestly, like, it was painful. There was a lot of um, sacrifice involved of ripping strongholds out of my heart and trusting God to do that work. But there was good that came out of it. Because if I hadn't done that, I doubt I would be up here right now. You know, because I was living for myself, and God started saying, Dale, I want you to take your energy and your time, and I want you to start serving in your church. And through that, I started to um, help Chris out with the men's group, and I started um, opening up my house to that and having the guys over, and through that I started to teach a little bit, and then I started to um, teach more from that, and then as I was teaching, I felt this passion to keep teaching, and so I went to Josh, and I asked, and I said, Josh, I really feel this passion to teach in the church. Um, would you mentor me in this? And thankfully, he said yes, um, and over the course of probably a year and a half now, like, we've been meeting periodically, and he's been discipling me and mentoring me in this and providing opportunities for me to be up here teaching. And I'm not saying, like, especially, (laughs) don't worry if you're, you know, if you get stage fright or whatever. I'm not saying, like, if you follow Christ, you're going to be up here. Maybe you will. But if you are pursuing God's kingdom, if you start putting aside those distractions and you start humbly submitting yourself to God's plans— He will call you into areas that you may not have imagined. Or he may call you in the areas where you still are to start repurposing it for his kingdom. And here's what I mean by that. We're called to live out the Great Commission. And a lot of times I think we read that and we think, oh, we need to go overseas. We need to be missionaries in Asia and Africa and all these places. But God, in his goodness, has provided mission fields for us through our jobs, through our neighborhoods, 
through the schools and the homeschool networks that we um, send our kids into. There's so many different social spheres we're in. Those are our mission fields. And the great thing about that, too, is that in those jobs, although they are our mission fields, they're also God's way of providing for us. And it's just this beautiful thing when you realize that all things are taken care of for us. And so in your families, like, if you're trying to just kind of build up this, like, image of, like, I've got this perfect family, and I raise my kids just right, and they don't swear, they don't drink, they don't cuss, whatever, you know, they follow all the church rules, like, if that's what you're living for is just that image-forward presentation, you know, we need to start sacrificing that. And what is God calling us to do? How is God calling us to properly raise and teach our children? You know, if we're pursuing um, overworking or all these extra hobbies, maybe God is saying, I want you to start taking that time and investing it into this area here for me. And the great thing about this is I know it sounds kind of scary at first, but when we do this, as we start to seek first God's kingdom, as we are abiding in Jesus, all this anxiety that is thrust upon us by the world starts to melt away. Because suddenly it's not, I need to keep up with the Joneses or keep up with the Kardashians or whatever. Like, I don't need to have all of this money set aside in this little nest egg. I don't need to look like this. I don't need to know all these things over here. I don't need to have to engage everybody in every single political debate. All of that stress melts away when we live with a kingdom-oriented heart. And there's freedom in that. And it's ironic because sometimes we see these things um, just at the surface level, and we see almost like these being shackled to, like, the Bible or being shackled to the church. But there's freedom when we step aside and allow God to throw off the chains of society and the expectations that come with it. Because we no longer have to live for those things. We can live freely for what God calls us to do, knowing that he'll provide and equip for us. And it's beautiful. You know, and I want to break away from just the individual lives here, too, and talk holistically about the church body. You know, we already looked at Ephesians 4, and we talked about how God is the one who equips his church. And that's another thing we can rest in, because we don't have to strive after positions of power or significance in the church, because the Holy Spirit will equip us through the offices that God has established for his church. He will equip us with the different spiritual gifts that are needed for our church to be built up. And so it's not this anxiety of like, well, I need to be known in my church. I need to get on the worship stage, or I need to get to the pulpit and preach, or I need to do all these other things. God will provide. And even if we like start to get anxious, like, well, we need to get a youth program. We need to get a children's ministry. We need to get an outreach program. We need to look like every other church in Janesville. No. We don't have to strive and be anxious to look like the rest of um, the churches around us. Because each church, God will equip. And if we are listening to him and following him, our church will grow in a proper way towards what God calls us to do. And that may look different between each church. There may be some churches that um, God has really equipped to excel in ministering to the teenagers of this community. There may be other churches that God will equip 
in Janesville to have a strong outreach ministry. And so we, as Mercy Hill, need to be really pursuing this individually and as a community to what God is calling of Mercy Hill Church. And knowing that with that calling, there's provision. And so we don't need to strive. And with that, too, in my illustration with Angela and how I talked about kind of the middle one where we sometimes bemoan when we don't receive gifts from God or we start to look away from what God's already provided for us and we compare ourselves to other people. We don't need to do that in the church. We don't need to look over and say, oh, well, that person is such a good prayer person or that person can really teach well or sing well or that person gets to speak in tongues and I just, I just don't feel like I'm equipped to do that or like I just can't do this or I can't do that. God, why aren't you equipping me? Galatians 5, verses 25 through 26, after Paul talks about walking in the Spirit and not pursuing the things of the flesh, he ends that by saying, we do not provoke or envy one another in the church. Or, sorry, that's my synopsis. Let me get the actual verse. <laughs> okay, so in Galatians 5, you know, he ends walking in the Spirit, avoiding the things of the flesh, and how the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, and so on. And he ends that section with verses 25 and 26 to share how the Spirit... Um, changes our lives in the church community. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So when we are trusting in God's provision as a church, we don't start to provoke or envy each other. We don't provoke in that like, oh, look at me, I'm so great, and you peons over there, like, you need to get on my level. Or we don't sit over here and start envying, like, oh my gosh, like, they just have everything. Or like, how come they have such a perfect-looking family? Or how come they can sing so well and I can't? Or all these things. We trust God to equip and provide. And we don't start bickering over one's spiritual gifts and equippings or one's convictions or one's theological opinions because we continue to go back to the word and live for God's kingdom. And he will draw us all in, united by one faith and one spirit. And, you know, another thing, too, is that the church requires us. It requires our involvement. Not it requires us to do all the work because we have to rely on God to do the work, but it still requires us to put forth effort. You know, and there's a verse in Hebrews 10, and I just, I love this verse because I've been challenged by it too as I've had my own seasons where I haven't wanted to get involved or I've wanted to just stay home. And it's, um, sorry, let me pull that up. Yes. And so in verses 24 and 25 of Hebrews 11, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so we are called to gather, to be the church. But if we aren't doing that, how is the church going to be effective? And so we must stop neglecting the gathering of believers. We must come together so that we can worship and stir one another up so that we can keep growing. 
And I just, I see these things, and I, I want to encourage every single one of us here. This is something we need to pursue together. We need to build each other up because there are days when it's going to be tough. There are days when we might get distracted and look out and see the rest of the world saying, come over here, follow this way. This will be fun and will lead to many riches. No, follow the path of God's righteousness and holiness. Follow what he has called us to do. Pursue his kingdom. Stay focused on that. And so let's spur one another on in this. Let's build each other up. Let's continue to gather on Sundays, on um, at men's group, at women's group, at the community groups, um, when we have newcomer luncheons, when we have Acts 242 nights. Let's gather. Now, I'm not trying to on the flip side, start piling up all these extra burdens on people either by saying that you have to have 100% attendance to be a good Christian or that you must be involved in all these things. But it is on every single one of us and our responsibility to always be pursuing God's kingdom and what he's calling us to do. And like I said, that's going to look different for different people. But he might be calling you to step out and... Um, get involved in a different ministry or to start attending a specific group. Um, I, I can't tell you exactly what every single one of you is going to have to do, but what I want to encourage every single one of us here in is pursue God's kingdom. He will make it known what he's calling you to do, and we are called to humble ourselves, to put aside our false gods, and to just submit and obey to what Christ calls us to do. And as we do that, all the things we need will be added and provided for us. So <laughs> that's, it's a beautiful promise. You know, I, I don't want anyone here to feel stressed by that. And I also don't want anyone here to fall into the trap of when we don't feel like God's provided or when we are struggling that we must um, work even harder. Let's be the church. Let's help each other out when we're struggling, when we're suffering. If someone is in need, all throughout the Bible, it's called upon the church to provide for other members. You know, we're told in Romans 12 to um, distribute to the needs of the saints. We see in Acts how they provided so that no one was in need. And yes, on the flip side, people are called to work diligently. So yes, all of us are called to work diligently, but that doesn't mean that if we are truly striving to work diligently and we're still in need of something that we can't go to our church and ask for help. So let's be the church body in that. You know, and let's also realize that God has provided for us in various different ways, not just in terms of, like, um, our giftedness to preach or not in terms of how much money we have or anything. He's, he's provided for us in various different ways, and so let's start using those provisions for his kingdom. And let's see through these seasons where God takes us and how he grows us and matures us individually and as his church so that his kingdom will grow in advance in Janesville, Wisconsin, and throughout the world. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you just for the provisioning of 
having Bibles in our, our churches, in our homes, that we can daily go to your word, that we can pray to you, Lord, and that your truth um, is revealed to us by your Holy Spirit. God, this is a tough chapter, and I thank you for this opportunity to preach on it this past, these past two weeks. Lord, we, we struggle with this, especially in the culture we live in. It's a very, very big struggle as we're just constantly surrounded and almost drowned out by the noise of consumerism. But Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to look to you, not to look to the Republicans or the Democrats, not to look to money, not to look to our homes or our lengthy resumes, not to look to our parents' accomplishments or our children's accomplishments, but Lord, to look to you. Guide us and lead us in this, Lord. We need you. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just fill us. Lord, that in the areas where we are not living for you, that we would be convicted. And Lord, that we would be, uh, just humble ourselves and be submitted to you. So God, we just pray for all of this. We pray that your church will be built up, and Lord, that you would be glorified, and that your kingdom would be advanced. So God, just equip us, teach us, lead us, convict us, and continue to mature us and build us. And we pray for all of this in your son's name. Amen.